You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horat, but he does not seem to be in his normal basement dwelling. Horat, where are you at today? I'm in uh, Arizona today. I am miles away from home. I am closer miles away from where a team who likes to only take 14 shots in a playoff game call home. A little bit outside of Phoenix, Arizona, visiting Megan's brother and her, and his, I should say, uh, 10-month-old baby. So we're half babysitting, but um, we're here visiting and having a good time and getting out of the heat of Pittsburgh for the hotter heat of Arizona. Hey, at least that's the dry heat, right? Dude, dry heat doesn't make a difference, because when you're in yes, it, it, it's does. hot as hot. It It's better that it's not humid, but you're still sitting there, like, still a hundred and eight degrees right now yeah that's fair so. i just pre- i just prefer it without the humidity so that's why I, I need to move down to the southwest everyone does but it's still damn hot here is all i'm saying fair enough and before we get going today we do have a very jam-packed show for you guys jumping into the pittsburgh penguins off season and all the things that may surround it that but before already we do that, started I, it's yeah exactly it's already started but like i said before we do that i did want to mention that we do have merch as i can see you're wearing your tip of the iceberg t-shirt right now so go check that stuff out at tip of the iceberg we have amazing t-shirts we have sweatshirts we even have face masks they're on back order as of right now because you amazing listeners bought so many of them so quickly they're on back order but they should be getting some more in later this month so go check all of that out at tip of the iceberg and then as i mentioned and we get into the show. We have a lot to talk about. We're bringing back the 3M segment, the must sign, maybe sign, and move on. So that's going to be something to look forward to. That's going to be the bulk of our episode today. But we also have draft lottery follow that we have to discuss. We also are going to talk a little bit about the playoffs as they're going on later in the show. I'm going to give you a check-in on, on how our two teams that we have stuck our flag in are doing. For me, the Vegas Golden Knights, and for you, the Colorado Avalanche. And we're also going to discuss a little bit about the Lightning and Columbus Blue Jackets game one that went to five overtime. So like I said, jam-packed show for you guys today. Let's get it started with some Pittsburgh Penguins news. The NHL Draft Lottery, which happened last week as our episode 71 dropped. We're now on episode 72. But now we know exactly where the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be. And we know who has the number one overall pick. Now the event itself... Can you expect anything less from the NHL? We had to start off by stroking off Gary Bettman's ego for a good 10 to 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Nice like, did we interview. expect anything less? Nice long interview, and then uh, uh, Gary Bettman confirming each team's logo, which I thought was very <laughs> hysterical. Um, yeah, like the people that are actually tuning into a draft lottery aren't going to know the logos. <laughs> Can you confirm this is the logo? Yes. Unless yes. that's like what they do in actual lottery balls are getting submitted. Like, can I, you confirm this is the number eight? Uh, no, it's like the infinity. Sorry, I'm holding it sideways. How about now? Like, <laughs> unless they actually do that in a real lottery, 
it just seems so like what are we doing here like you're putting this off and another thing that i found about the lottery that i found very strange is that i get you can't just put a black box on top of like where the ball comes up but before the ball is taken out you're looking at like that's the rangers logo nice we're done here like it wasn't the whole like pull it out and then like reveal it it was just oh okay it's there we're done yeah, and I mean, that's what you're going to get. It's still better. You knew that they weren't going to actually draw it till the second half of that half hour. You knew the first 15 minutes were going to go because that's how ratings work. They rate based on quarter hour increments. So that's why they did that. Everybody tuning in at exactly 6 and then, oh, it's not going to be till 6.30. Okay, tunes in at 6.20 and they get double bonus for that. So, I mean, whatever. What's worse, though, having a ball turned the incorrect way or dropping it while you're supposed to be holding it above, while Gary Bettman explains, and they explain, what the New York Rangers are to everybody watching. He's so lucky he was wearing a mask, because you know his <laughs> face under that was just... Well, they fuck. said his name. I know, oh, but you, you just know, mean because his face of embarrassment. Okay, I was like, people know face. who it was. It's just no face, and he's just like, you know he's under that, like, you idiot. Because <laughs> you saw his eyes just go, like, they closed, and he was just like, I, I messed up. Yep. And you mentioned already the pick is going to go to the New York Rangers, so pretty much confirmed, Alexi Lafreniere, another number one overall pick, goes to the Metropolitan Division. Lafreniere will join the ranks of Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Capo Kako, which was last year's second overall pick, and a very good young team that is going to be backstopped by, I'm guessing, Igor Shosturkin, who's going to be the starter come next year. So it's going to be interesting to see what steps they take, how they were technically still in a rebuild but what steps they take into next year and if they break through into the actual playoffs next season. Such a good young team. I mean, I think I expect them to do a little better this year, but I guess they're still rebuilding, but also mm-hmm. kind of not because they are a decently good team and, you know, are just keep getting implemented with firepower and more firepower. I guess their goalie situation's figured out now. Once Lundqvist decides to make, once they decide what to do with him, unless they want to keep him around as an $8 million backup, which, I don't know, not the way he played. But not too many teams can afford an $8 million backup, is all I'm saying. The Penguins might, just saying. I'm not going to talk about that right now. Yeah, we'll get into that with the 3M segment. Definitely going to get into that later. But, I mean, as far as the Pittsburgh Penguins are concerned, they're officially going to take the 15th overall selection, and they decided later last week that they will be keeping that and moving the 2021 first-round pick to Minnesota to close out that Jason Zucker trade. So the Penguins have the 15th overall pick officially in this year's draft, the highest they've picked since the 2012 NHL draft when they took Derek Pouliot 8th overall. Of course, that originally belonged to the Carolina Hurricanes, as you so mentioned to me a little earlier this week. What do you think about the Pittsburgh Penguins' 15th overall selection this year? I'm so glad we're keeping it. Yeah, the eighth pick, there's so many moving parts that if I have a 2012 draft recap on, on the hockey writers you can read, there were so many moving pieces to that pick that it's kind of fun. But the 15th overall, I don't know who it will be or who is even mentioned in it. Um, I've seen a couple names that aren't. I'm not remembering. But um, it's supposed to be a deep draft, so I'm saying good we're pretty well set for a good young prospect hopefully yeah and that'll go on to add with what we got last year in sam poulan and nathan legare plus adding pio joseph last year via trade 
that really kind of bolstered what was basically a nothing prospect pool for the Pittsburgh Penguins. A lot of like B minus to C prospects for the Penguins. And then those three coming in just instantly jolted the prospect pool for the Penguins. So looking at this 15th overall pick, I know you said you don't really have any names, but what would you like to think that they would do with it? What need do you think they have to address with this pick? Off the top of my head, my first thought was a defenseman for the sake of well, we see what Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes are doing in the league right now. These young defensemen that are really just not taking over the league, you could say, but are kind of changing the position a little bit. They're making it a little bit more offensively minded. They're you know, adding so much speed to the position that it's kind of hard to keep up with. My thoughts on the defenseman is just, you know, our defensive core is not what I think, not what it, not what it used to be, but like, Losing Kalen Addison in the trade in that uh, Zucker trade kind of, I think, left a hole in it. Not one that you know can't be filled by filled easily. But the way I'm looking at our defensive core is Schultz is gone, so there's that. Johnson, we don't we know he's not good, but we don't know what's going to happen with him yet exactly. He could be gone. He might be staying. Who knows? But then you go up John Marino, great young defenseman who's going to be around for a while. Patterson. A good defenseman, but he's very iffy and wishy-washy all, a lot. Like We know he can go back and forth. Dumoulin, again, not an offensive defenseman, but a very good style top defenseman. Then there's Latang, who, if he sticks around, and I say if he sticks around for a couple of reasons that we'll dig into later, I think he's going to fall off of a cliff skill-wise. I think the wow. way he's played, just his health, the amount of minutes he's played in his career, and just... I think he's a great he's a great defenseman, don't get me wrong. I just think his progression of just just gonna tank pretty hard and it's not gonna we're not gonna see it coming. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we would nice I mean not not to like drop him out of the lineup bad, but not first calib first line caliber that he is now. So the way I see it is basically what I want is someone that could fill a Kalen Addison position from what we had. And then after that maybe I know we are going to talk about an article that mentioned our center depth is not what it is. So picking that up would be nice. I know P.O. Joseph's going to be good to come up soon. But like I said, I just think we're going to lose a couple of guys and Latang might be one of them one day. So having a filler and having just one more decent name to look forward to coming up for the near future would be kind of nice for our defense going forward. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Defense, especially organizationally, I do agree that they do need to address that in some way, shape, or form. I don't think it should be with the 15th overall selection. When you're drafting as high as you are, especially in this year's draft, I think you have to look at what you need most in your organization. And you mentioned it at the end there. That's going to be center right now because the Penguins have always focused on we need to have depth down the middle at center. We need to have depth at center. That depth has always really come from trades or free agent signings. It really hasn't come with the exception of Teddy Bluger, who is going to probably be their fourth line center for a couple of years at the very least is from what it looks like right now. That's about the only exception is to centers that have come up from the organization. So I think that they should use that 15th overall pick for a center specifically because of a couple things. One, you look both of last year's picks, Poulin and Legare, are both wingers. And they're both to the level of right now that they might spend all of next year in Wilkes-Barre. But if they do that, they should be ready by the following season to come up and make a difference in your lineup. 
you also look at the fact that I mentioned already, the Penguins' organizational center depth is fairly weak right now. Yes, you have a Philip Hollander, you have a Sam Militic, but these guys aren't really proven, let alone ready to come up and be what you're going to need, which is going to be a third-line center, possibly able to bump up to second-line center if you're looking more than three years down the road. So I think they use that pick for a center specifically because 13 of the top 31 prospects in this draft are centers. And that's according to EliteProspects.com. I looked through that. There's a couple of names that I noticed. I don't know too much about all these guys, just preliminary findings based on looking at them. I know we've talked about a couple of them before on the show. But there's a couple of names of people that I think that might be there and that might be good options for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, first and foremost, his name's Maverick Bork. We've talked about him before. We we used that as our pick when we did the THPN mock draft back in, I don't know, February, January. And he, coming out of the QMJHL, is a very good option at center. I also saw Brendan Brisson from the USHL, who's a good option for the Pittsburgh Penguins, bigger kind of guy. You also have Dylan Holloway, who's from the NCAA. The Penguins, of course, have a history of drafting guys out of the NCAA or signing guys out of the NCAA. You look at John Marino, who played for Harvard. You look at Brian Rust coming out of Notre Dame. You have actually a couple players out of Notre Dame. Even Carl Hagelin was out of Michigan when they got him. So Holloway coming out of Wisconsin might be an option. You also have somebody that Jesse Marshall of The Athletic has liked and Connor Zary coming out of the WHL with Kamloops. He's somebody that is big with a really good foot speed and a really good reach. You also have somebody like Hendricks Lapierre is the last name I'm going to mention from the QMJHL. So there's options, especially in that second tier because, you know, there's the Tim Stutzlas, but we know he's not making it to 15. So those are the five guys that I think should be there at 15 for them and that should make a difference if the Penguins were to draft them in this organization. And, and that's basically the reason everything I outlined there is why I would go with center. And again, preliminary findings, these five names popped up. I'm going to look into it a little bit more. Of course, we'll talk a little bit more before the draft happens in, I believe, October. So it's going to be a quick process here to try to figure out who they're going to take. But I think they go with center. You say defenseman, but that's fine because they they do have a lot of needs, especially when it comes to their prospect pool. Yeah, I say defenseman is the first mind prospect pool. I'm thinking far future. I'm not thinking like, you know, a guy that we can have, we can pick and implement next season. Like, don't get me wrong, center's like my second choice immediately because we don't know what the future McCann holds, and we know Bluger's probably not going to move up past a sec or a third, fourth line position. Um, so getting another stud, a stud center going forward that can play sooner rather than later is what uh, we're going to be looking for. Exactly, and it, it it's going to be fine because, like I said, highest draft pick the Penguins have had since 2012 with Derek Pouliot, and yes, that one wasn't even theirs. The last time they had their own draft pick this high, Jordan Stahl. In 2006. <laughs> so it's one. definitely... Yeah, two, exactly. Sorry, two, I think. Whatever it was. He, yeah, he went number but two. It'll be fun. I mean, I know... Like, we mentioned when we lost the Islanders to each other that, hey, we have a first-round pick this year, finally. <laughs> and it's worked out so far. It's just mm -hmm. a matter of bringing him up into the organization and getting him equipped and ready for the NHL. And it's looking like he's going to do that fairly soon. Yeah, and Poulin... I mean, he was in the training camp roster, and he looked... He didn't look out of place in any of those training camp games. So it'll be interesting to see when he steps in. I'm I'm assuming he will be invited to training camp. And if not, I doubt he goes back to the queue. I, I'm pretty sure he would probably go to the AHL if he doesn't make the team out of camp, which I don't see happening. 
to be completely honest. I don't think he makes the team right off the gate. I could be wrong, but I think he has to go down to Wilkes-Barre and have a couple games or maybe even a half a season Gotta down there to try to get there, equipped. Yeah. Well, the Penguins, we mentioned, will be making a lot of moves in this offseason, and they already started. They let go all of their assistant coaches, Jacques Martin, Sergei Gonchar, and Mark Recchi last week, which was a shock, especially hearing about somebody like Sergei Gonchar getting shit-canned. So what were your thoughts whenever you saw this big announcement by the Penguins less than 24 hours after Jim Rutherford said there will be changes? Um... So I'm 20 seconds away from getting onto a plane. (laughs) (laughs) My phone is already in airplane mode and American Airlines already starts calling the boarding positions. And Megan just says, "Uh, the Penguins fired their coaches. I'm like, are you, I'm about to get on a plane. This can't happen right now. (laughs) So I'm able to pull my phone off airplane mode and look at it all. The Jacques Martin one, he seemed like a guy. So I'm not in any, I don't have any opinions on that one. I figured that was probably the most likely to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. The Gonchar one, I think, is the biggest surprise to everyone. Because he's a great defensive coach, the defensemen love him. Malkin loves him. And just, he seemed like he was in a good spot. Um, I'm sure you have more details on that, but my thought is, the Mark Recchi one makes the most sense. It's the one I most agree with. I have been wanting Mark Recchi gone since Tockett left. Like, I didn't want Mark Recchi in there in the first place. Because, you know, they put Recchi in the spot that, that, um, Tockett was and I knew that Tockett seemed like the kind of guy that wasn't taking bullshit from anyone you mm-hmm. couldn't you know you couldn't sit there and I can't think of the way to put it but Tockett wouldn't take your shit he wouldn't take any lumps from you he would sit you down and tell you you're gonna play your game you're gonna do this you're gonna listen to us I feel like Recky didn't have a backbone that was just me he wasn't the kind of guy that would really take the charge on a player and be like you're gonna listen to us Mm-hmm. So I'm cool with this move. I want someone who can, you know, really take position on these players and tell them, like, you're going to play your game because you're a great player. Now, do it. Don't just sit back and, you know, be spineless. Yeah, and you mentioned it perfectly. The Jacques Martin and the Sergei Gontra ones, those ones surprised me. I almost expected, especially after Tuesday's press conference with Jim Rutherford, I almost expected Mark Recchi to get fired just because... If you saw how bad the Penguins' power play was, yes, it was a 50-50 split in leadership on that between Sullivan and Recchi, but you knew that Rutherford has committed to Sullivan for next year. He was not going to get fired. That was not going to be an option, and you knew something was going to happen with the coaching staff based on what Rutherford said on Tuesday. So I knew Recchi was probably the first one to go. They cleaned house behind Sullivan. That was unexpected. Gonchar has had some very, very good projects since he's become the assistant coach for the Penguins. You look at the early returns on Justin Schultz when he first came over. That was good. You look at how he had John Marino playing. You look at what happened when Pedersen came over initially last year from Anaheim. Gonchar played, or played, excuse me. He coached really well, but at some point, it's not enough whenever your postseason results are what they are. So I'm not 100% surprised that somebody got fired, I am pretty surprised that all three of them got fired. Now, whoever they get back in there, that's going to also be telling us to the direction that this organization wants to go. It seems like higher management above Jim Rutherford is now getting involved in the day-to-day. It's something that I mentioned when I was on the Soda Pod last week with Isha and State of Hoppy. They said, is Mike Sullivan on the hot seat? I said, no, but his leash is shorter. And the reason I say that is, 
I feel like he didn't even have a leash on before. I feel like the club trusted him to say, listen, this is your team. We trust you to do the best things best. And now I think they're looking at it and saying, all right, now we are going to put our input in it because you've kind of screwed up the last two years. Not that he has any more bone added pressure, but I feel like they have a hand on the situation now, whereas before they trusted him to take care of it himself. Yeah, Sullivan, I mean, we know he's a great coach. We know he's one of the best coaches in the league. We saw what he did this regular season. Yeah, the last couple games weren't, you know, phenomenal. But we saw how he was able to handle this lineup and this team through all these injuries and through everything not looking his way. So we know he's a great coach. I mean, you mentioned Mark Recchi being the obvious one. I mean, running the power play, running the penalty kill, whatever it is. I mean, every time they called timeout or there was players over at the bench, we saw Recky was the one drawing the plays up. Nothing ever came from that. So clearly he's not doing something right. Not that, you know, saying not saying that he should he's drawing plays up that should work. I'm saying like we know he's the one that's kinda of taking a charge there and if nothing's panning out after a while, I mean if nothing ever pans out, if you're running a zero percent at drawing up a play and it working then it's not just the other team's defense stepping up. It's something you're doing, maybe. So the recce one makes sense. Like I said, the Martin one, I mean, he's just a guy, I guess. I don't really know exactly how much he had involvement in everything. But he's gone. That one makes sense. And the Gonchar one shocked us. But, you know, I mean, Sullivan's leash now is definitely shorter. He is definitely on a watch. I wouldn't call it a hot seat exactly because... I feel like because Sullivan's going to come back from this and be like, I got a new coaching staff. We're still going to be just as good. And it's going to be in part because of what we as a staff do. And he's going to be the head of it. And it's he's going to be fine, I think. I don't know what his contract looks like. I kind of forget how many years are left on it or whatever. He just got re-signed recently. Because I know he just got re-signed. So he'll Mm -hmm. be around for a little bit, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Assuming he's able to continue regular season success and regain a little bit of postseason success. That's the big question. He's been a regular season coach all what four years now, four seasons that he's been the Penguins coach and two of the four years, or is it, it would be five years, excuse me, five seasons. Something and a half. I could say so that. three or two of the five seasons. He went to the Stanley cup and won the Stanley cup and the other one he lost in the second round. So it's really going to be a question of, can he get this team to play well in the postseason? Can he get this team to play well when they face adversity in the postseason? That's another big question that Rutherford was asking on his interview on Tuesday. But as we mentioned, the assistant coaches, in an article that we both read from The Athletic, somebody said that maybe it was because the three of them were yes-man, which is where Talkit was not a yes-man for Mike Sullivan. So maybe that's what they're looking for in assistant coaches coming up for next season is somebody that will challenge Sullivan in the way that he's thinking, somebody that will challenge Sullivan in the way that he's deploying his lines, whether it's forwards, defensemen, whether it's whoever's starting in goal. But as I mentioned, that article by Rob Rossi and Josh Yoey, we posted it already on our Twitter page at Iceberg Podcast. Go check that article out by those guys at The Athletic. If you don't have The Athletic, use your free trial on this article. Exactly. Straight up. Like, it's there's it's not often I say that about articles on The Athletic, but that one and the one Yoey did about his yearly, like, uh, who's moving on. Ah, uh, yes. Take a look at those two and uh, use your free trial on that for sure. Yeah, those guys always pump out really good content, but this was above and beyond the call of duty for the both of them. Of course, they're both very storied writers, but this 
really illuminated a lot and even with a lot of anonymous sources a couple of things i'm sure you have a couple of things i do as well to take from that but we're not going to give we're not going to give you all of it go read it for that but i think the one big takeaway for me was mike sullivan in the bubble apparently a lot was going on that people did not agree with he was apparently very very you know passive in the bubble, especially after being down two games to one, which is unlike him. And also, a lot of players felt he had too much comp confidence in players that won with him. That being, I don't know, Connor Sherry, could be Matt Murray, could be Justin Schultz. All of these are very, very good options to look at that and just say the Penguins kind of questioned Mike Sullivan's take and the way he was performing as a coach in Toronto. What do you, what do you say to that? I was shocked to see that he wasn't tearing into him after blowing a three to one lead. I will say that because that's something I feel like he, he of all people would get on them about. Mm -hmm. I feel like Sullivan's the kind of guy that would see his phenomenal team, the team he is confident in the team that we're all confident in blow a three, one lead like that. I mean, if we were in his shoes, I mean, I think we all wanted to tear into the team and say, like we could watch like, what are you doing? Do this, do that, do this better. Sullivan just lacks just saying you guys are good players you guys can handle it or whatever it is that's not the way a head coach should be handling that type of situation especially one that for a team that has had this sort of issue um in the playoffs not performing to the, to the best of their abilities most as of recently and just you know it was an interesting read my other takeaway i one of my other takeaways was how we're going to be managing this offseason. Yeah. And not spending to the cap because we can't. Well, I mean, it's not that you can't spend to the cap right now at $81.5 million because they did that this season. But the fact being, they haven't not spent to the cap. They've always spent to the cap at least since 2007. Yeah. That was... So it's definitely a change of pace. Yeah. Not spending to the cap is going to be a fun interesting watch this summer because they said because we're at 70 something right now and they said we're not going too much higher than 75 right now we're at 68.2 million that is already signed and on the roster for next season and they said they only want to go to probably the mid 70s so they want to keep five six million dollars in cap space which is something that we're not used to here let's just be completely honest we're not used to that much cap space being available. And of course, for purposes of if we need to add a piece, that's the piece you add. And that's the only other thing I did want to mention between that is with all of that going on, a lot of the players weren't happy with Jim Rutherford saying, hey, I trust you guys. I like this lineup. Then immediately adding three more forwards to the lineup yeah, at the trade that deadline. Was the that was interesting. I mean, we it was interesting whenever it happened. We mentioned we were like, well, he said he really trusted this lineup, yet he goes with three new guys. And just seeing that again, I also reminded myself, man, I really wish. And we'll get into this with the three M's. I really wish we wouldn't have traded away Dominic Cahoon. But what that did you think about about that? Dominic Cahoon is the one that. Kalen Addison we could do away with like I said you know it was a worthy loss for Zucker the team liked Dominic Cahoon the players at least like Dominic Cahoon who knows what it was why he was the one that got shipped out I mean he was an expensive UFA okay so was Evan Rodriguez that we brought in you know Shiri whatever I think he's gone anyway which we'll get into but 
Rodriguez bring it, bringing Rodriguez in with that trade. I mean, he's a more expensive UFA than what Cahoon was, at least right now. It's that was the one that was a real question mark that it shook a lot. I guess it shook a lot inside and just the Marlowe one. I forget what we even sent out for him. Wasn't like a third pick? round pick. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I expected more from him, but like, but at the same time, adding implementing him into a team where you said you had a lot of confidence. That's going to mess up the chemistry, and it did. The team liked Cahoon. They could have won with him, and just an all-around strange choice, I'd say. Yeah, let's let's get into the 3M segment right now, because that's basically what we, we've been leaning towards with our conversation here. So we're going to start our 3M segment. If you haven't already listened to one of our episodes when we do this, we've done it twice before. Must sign, maybe sign, move on. The two of us take a look at all of the upcoming UFAs and RFAs for the Pittsburgh Penguins and assign them one of those three as to what we would do if we were general manager Jim Rutherford. As always, we will start with the unrestricted free agents, meaning they have no ties to Pittsburgh as of right now. And let's start with somebody you were just talking about from the trade deadline. That's Connor Sherry. What do you do with him? Uh, You move on. You say that was a bad experiment to bring him back and cut ties and uh, never play that card again, honestly. Did he have a great, you know, does Connor Sherry have a great history here in Pittsburgh with us? Yes. You know, we can't deny that he didn't win two cups with us. It's just a matter of bringing him back was not a smart move. It wasn't. And it's not going to be a smart move to even re-sign him for cheaper. It's just a waste. Cut him loose. He'll go make money somewhere. We move on. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm moving on from Connor Sherry. As much as earlier in the season, I thought maybe you bring him back because... I felt like, well, he fits in with this system, I guess, and he knows the system. But based on what we saw in the playoffs and based on what we saw from Sherry when he first came back, you got to move on from him. He is a very good winger with Sidney Crosby, and that's great. But we have that in spades right now. We have a lot of people that can play with Sidney Crosby. And you can't handcuff Mike Sullivan and saying, hey, here's a winger. He can play with Crosby. There's another option for you. But if he's not with Crosby, he probably doesn't deserve to be in this lineup. You need to be able to move around that lineup. That's something I noticed in the playoffs and once the playoffs ended is Mike Sullivan could have made changes to that forward lineup. But at the same time, we all looked at, well, you got the top six. That's kind of the top six and set in stone. You have your bottom line set. And then what of the third line? Like, even if you switch things around, you're kind of just ruining your third line like they did when they put Sherry down there because he could not produce with them. So, to me, you're moving on from Connor Sherry because although he can move around your lineup, he can't do it effectively anymore. And even when he plays with Crosby, he doesn't do it to the level of, say, a Dom Simone, who we'll get to in a couple minutes, can do. So, I agree with you. I move on from Connor Sherry. And let's, let's do an easy one after that. Justin Schultz. As if it wasn't already confirmed by Jim Rutherford himself last week. I say move on from Justin Schultz. I'm guessing you're saying... Oh, yeah, I'm saying like I said, what I said uh, last week on recording. Uh, if you get that call, you silence your phone and just let it go. And Jim Rutherford tends to agree, it seems like, because in that press conference that we've mentioned for the past 32 minutes he says i know a lot of people talk crap on jack johnson which they do and sometimes it's rightfully so but i thought justin schultz had a lot more to give in that series basically if a general manager names a guy specifically a guy that's going to be unrestricted free agent and a guy that they also say they're looking to get rid of or older contracts and veteran players 
the writing is not only on the wall, the writing's basically on a contract signed, sealed, and delivered. Justin Schultz is not coming back. No, and he doesn't need to. You know, again, he's the guy like he's the guy like Sherry. Sherry, whatever. Did we have a good time with him? Yeah, absolutely. We watched him carry this team, this defense in 2017 to a Stanley Cup. We watched him quarterback power plays. We're going to have those great memories, but damn it, those memories are over, man. That's all, that's all there is to it. Yet let's avoid becoming the Chicago Blackhawks and keeping players around just because we won cups with them five years ago. So looking forward to, to Schultz being officially off of our cap friendly, as I'm sure a lot of Penguins fans are. How about another guy that's a little bit more of a veteran type player in the last UFA that we have to talk about? That's Patrick Marlowe. To me, you move on from him. It was a nice gesture to bring him in and to try to get him that Stanley Cup finally in his career. But he's 41 years old. He did not play great in the playoffs. He did not play great at all since he's been in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform. And the team needs to get younger, not older. So I think, again, nothing against Patrick Marlowe. Seems like a great teammate. Not somebody I want to bring back to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm moving on from him as well. I, I'm i going to agree with you because it hurts. He's, I mean, he's a guy that if you were to stick or keep around, you're going to do league min again, and it's going to be a year. Because there's no more he can do anywhere else. So you kind of got to shoot for something like that. But... Like you mentioned, we got to get younger and cheaper. And he's about as old as they get. And he's a guy that any other team willing to take on an old man, I'm sure could, you know, he's got a shot at winning a cup somewhere. He's just to find the right, make the right pick. And back to San Jose is not going to be it. I mean, plus you have to wonder how much left does he actually have left in the tank? Like, can he get another maybe truncated season left in him. He might do what Justin Williams did this year, take half of the year and then sign somewhere halfway through the year. I mean, it seems like it's See who looks good and then make a decision. I mean, it does. It seems like it worked for Justin Williams. I mean, he's current. He was currently unfit to play for the Canes in game one last week, but at the same time, when he came back, he was playing extremely well. So it worked out well for him. Maybe it'll work out for Marlowe, but it's not going to be in Pittsburgh, unfortunately. Uh, Let's say we move on to the RFAs. Oh, I'm but sorry, yeah. what was that? I said it would have been fun. Would have been real fun. But what would have been nice to see Crosby pass it off to him second, which is probably what would have happened. Oh yeah, you know Crosby just had that ready. Yeah, unfortunately he was about eighteen wins away from even having a chance to do it. So moving on to the restricted free agents, let's start off with two of the guys that it's a little bit less of an impact whether or not you make the decision on. Let's start with Anthony Angelo. To me, borderline Wilkes Bear Pittsburgh replacement level player. Maybe you sign them. If you don't, you have enough players in the pipeline that are at that specific level that can come up and step in in case of injury. Yeah, Angelo is one of those guys that you see and you wonder, he's going to be money that kind of affects uh, Wilkes-Barre more than it affects us for a long, for a little while still. So if you sign him, sure, he's going to be down in the minors for most of the season and probably won't get called up unless severe injuries happen again because guys will be jumping over him come... Once we start looking at the depth chart. So you're saying maybe sign as well? Maybe because, I mean, he's an RFA, so you have to do something, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just don't think we'll see him in a penguin uniform again. It's an inconsequential decision right there. So it's it's not going to really make a difference. If you sign him, okay, cool. That adds to your depth of players that have played in the NHL. If you don't sign them, names I mentioned earlier, Philip Hollander, Sam Militech, 
those guys are all probably around the same level as Anthony Angelo, if not possibly higher when it comes to possibly coming in next season. Let's move on with somebody else like that. How about Sam Lafferty? What say you? Sign him cheap because you can do that. You could sign him cheap and... I mean, shit, you can get two years out of him still, I'd say. Because let's say he becomes dead weight to us. You can ship him off easy. There's plenty of teams that he could play for. Put him on waivers. Like, if he goes on waivers, somebody takes him, okay, that's fine. But I say maybe sign for that same reason as Anthony Angelo. A little bit better, though. I think he's also borderline Wilkes-Barre in Pittsburgh based on injuries. But I think he's elevated his game to be a tier above Anthony Angelo, which is like first call-up or making the team as the extra forward, something like that. So, I again, maybe you sign him, maybe you don't. It all depends on what Rutherford's looking to do. I think he is exactly what Rutherford has talked about. He's youth, he's speed, and he plays physical, and he plays basically can play anywhere in your bottom six at this point. He can be a winger, he can be a center, he can do it all in the bottom six. So that's why I think it's maybe sign. But I also think there's a lot of other players that are in that same boat that we're going to talk about in a couple seconds that might be ahead of him when it comes to the depth chart. So one possible name. There's definitely players ahead of him. I'm just sticking with a must on a must sign because he can, he's a guy that you want to stick around for a little while because you know he has some fire under him. Mm -hmm. But go with the other names that might not have as much fire under him. Uh, Dom Simone is the next one I'm going to. I mean, he has great value on whatever contract he's going to sign because he plays, if he had finish, then he'd be playing way under what his value is in his contract. But he doesn't. I still believe that he plays better than he gets paid. But I think it's a bit of a gamble because he's coming off of shoulder surgery as well. He might possibly miss the beginning of the 2020-2021 season. What do you do with Dom Simone? I'm saying you must sign him. Yes, yeah, so am I. It's because it'll be short and cheap, easy. You could do him for a year if you really wanted to. And he might even still be an RFA after that. I don't know how RFA UFA works, but sign him to like basically what he's on now. So you got hurt, you couldn't finish off your season, but we're seeing a ton of progression out of you. And it's, you know, pride play with Crosby. Sure, if he has to play by himself, that's where the real test will be for him. But we know the organization loves him. We know the coaches love him. The coach, I should say, <laughs> love him. And he'll get playing time on this team because he does. So you sign up to a year or two at whatever he's making now, basically say you have to prove you deserve more than this. And come that time, maybe somewhere else, maybe. But he's got to prove to us and the league what he can do. Yeah, you mentioned how well he plays with Sidney Crosby. I I mean, he's a hell of a possession player. That's the name of his game, is possessing the puck, making plays, creating plays in the offensive zone. So I think he's worth keeping in the mix, much more than keeping somebody like Connor Sherry in the mix, because unlike Sherry, I think Dom Simone has the ability to succeed on a line away from Crosby. We haven't necessarily seen it, but based on how he's played, since he's come up into the NHL, I think he has the ability to succeed away from Sidney Crosby. And I think he'd be a very decent or very good third-line player for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Maybe a fourth-line player for the Pittsburgh Penguins based on his possession metrics. So, yes, I agree that's a must-sign for him. And let's keep it going with bottom six forwards right now because we're on a we're on a grind and on a groove with bottom six guys. What about Evan Rodriguez? Haven't really seen much of him since the Penguins traded for him. Solely because of who we traded to get him and Sherry, and I already said let Sherry go. 
it's a must sign. Because if you don't, you look absolutely awful by giving away somebody like Dominic Cahoon for a player that you had for a rental for not even a playoff berth, which I don't necessarily consider that a playoff berth getting into the qualifying round. So I think you must sign Evan Rodriguez. I think he is a very good bottom six, possibly next man up kind of guy. And you have to give him a shot. He looked really good with the Penguins in training camp 2.0. So did Lafferty. But I think he should be a fixture on the Penn's fourth line next year if there's a spot for him there. And I honestly believe Brandon Tanev should no longer be on the fourth line. I think it's time for him to get third line, maybe even first line minutes with Crosby. Yeah, no, that that Aston Reese, Bluger, and Tanev line shouldn't be a thing next year unless it unless you have to put them together and something works again for now it shouldn't be a thing because lines need to change year after year um but i mean it's a good pitfall to have to be like hey we know that these guys have worked well together but i think brandon tanev has too much talent to be putting him on a line with a guy like zach aston reese who sucks offensive ability away from other people Tanev isn't like a grade A scorer, but the way he plays, if he was with Crosby and Gensel, I think he'd be at least a 15 goal scorer, which he was almost this year. He might even be a 20 goal scorer based on the places he plays. Yeah. And plus the way I see it is, I mean, like I said, lines usually don't continue to be that great year after year. They have to be something special to be a line that can sustain, you know, a career together. We saw the HBK line fall apart after their magical year. So... It's not something you expect. I mean, if it works, it works. Cool. Then we'll keep going with that. But you want Tanev to be more offensively minded because we know he can do it. As for Evan Rodriguez, I'm moving on from... You said we don't want to look bad in the trade. We look bad already, okay? We lost to the Canadians. Forget about our image. Let's rebuild the team and prove people wrong again next year. Rodriguez, yes, is a great depth depth piece. But, I mean, I think this is where Lafferty can fit right in. Take that space. There it is. Because you're going to have guys coming up in the pipeline like Poulin and Lagaray that might become first call-ups. Who knows what all happens. Like you mentioned, keeping Angelo around. We still have DePauli, I think. I'm pretty sure, yeah. He might be our RFA, but we're not even going to mention him in this one. Exactly. Because no, we're not. But then there's inconsequential. Philip Verone. Like, we have guys that we're keeping around for a little while. Like We have guys that we can call up easy. You know, I'm not worried about us looking good or bad because we look like shit already. <laughs> I yeah. get you lose that trade and, and it just looks terrible and it hurts because yeah. it was Dominic Cahoon who we would both be saying must resign. Yeah. But I'm not worried about it anymore. What's in the past is in the past. We've made our mistakes. We're learning from them. We're moving on and we just look like shit right now. I How get... good would Cahoon have looked on that third line this, in the playoffs? Probably phenomenal. Exactly. Like... So it's just, it sucks that we traded him for two players that. One of them we definitely shouldn't resign in Connor Sherry, and one of them, yeah, we can resign, and I think we should resign, but it's not anywhere near what you would have gotten out of Cahoon value wise. So it just to me, it just sucks that you lost that trade so badly. I'm sorry to cut you off. You're good, and like I mean, plus Evan Rodriguez is the most expensive um, RFA. I get it was a bloated one for Buffalo standards, but. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to go into an to go into, you know, a negotiation saying I want at least this much because I made that. But you never know with agents these days. <laughs> you would hope he'd be he would take a pay cut if you were to give him an offer, but I'm just not doing it. I'm not stepping into that because I think Lafferty could just take that space right away. It's not like Rodriguez was getting playing time already. 
because of a stacked lineup, and I get that lineup might shift and change a lot, but I think he'd be part of that shifting and changing. I just, I get we lose the trade and look like shit, but how much further can, how much further down can we go? That's true. You've talked me into it. I'm downgrading my must sign to a maybe Ooh. sign on Evan Rodriguez. Right. Just, I feel like it, my heart was just like, oh, we lost Dominic Cahoon for both of these guys. I don't want to say move on from both of them, but so I'll move it down to a maybe sign. We'll see what they do with that. This next one, again, my heart is probably a little in it too much, and that's Yuso Rikula. Move on, man. You got to move on from Yuso Rikula. He would help this team. He would be great for this team if he was on it next year. But I don't think Mike Sullivan cares to give him a shot. So why waste the roster space? Why waste the cap space? Let him move on. Let him embarrass you when he goes and plays well for, I don't know, Ottawa, Boston, who who knows? It's clear that the organization doesn't trust him fully yet, and I think at that point, it's time to just let him go somewhere else. Yeah, I I have him written down as a maybe sign, but that's just because that's my opinion on him. <laughs> it's obviously not the management's thoughts, but it doesn't look like he's going to be coming back anyway. Because I mean, if anything, he's going to go back to Europe because he'll he knows he'll play there. But yeah, I mean, like, whenever I was go- running down my defensive thing for the draft earlier, I didn't mention Ricola because he's not going to be here, I think. That's just the way it is. So, um, yeah, he'll be gone probably, but I have him as a maybe because he could help. That's that's why I have him there, but we know that's not why he will be here. <laughs> yeah, if he's here, it's only because somebody got injured in the next two weeks driving home or something like that. But we have a couple more. They're big names, probably the biggest names as far as RFAs are concerned. Let's start with Jared McCann, and then we'll finish it off with the two goaltenders. What are you doing with this enigma that is Jared McCann? Oh, man, I don't... It would be short and cheap. It would be short and cheap. It'd be a year and say, you gotta do something this year. Like, this is it, man. He was phenomenal when we had him. He had a great start to the season. Then the downfall started, and we're like, okay, it's just a small slump. This little long break we're having will help. And then he's benched in game three for playing reasons. Well, now you have to prove something if you want to stay here, especially considering he's an expensive RFA. And I think if we re-sign him, he would get that same money. I don't know why. I just don't have this feeling that he'll go into a year at league minimum. I think he'll. Re- I think if he was to get re-signed anywhere, he's going to be at least what he's making now. But like I said, like it's not often you see guys that are that young take pay cuts. So he'll go into a negotiation saying probably at least this much. If he could do higher, that'd be great. I'm saying he's getting the one year, please do something, show me what you can do, show me you deserve more contracts. So I'm going with a must for the one year. Anything longer, it's what are we doing? Let's really <laughs> think about it. Yeah, we constantly on this show talk about people burning money in the in the regular season that they were supposed to make in the upcoming offseason. Jared McCann falls under that category because he started the year on a hot streak. It looked like he was going to be blowing past all of his career bests. And then at the end of the regular season goes on a 22-game goalless drought. Follows that up with three more in the postseason, so... As of right now, he's sitting on a 25-game goalless drought going into contract negotiations. Not the best sign for him. He's 
not going to be worth as much as he would have been if he would have kept up what he was doing. But I still say you have to sign somebody like Jared McCann, mainly because he's young. He's only 24 years old. He's versatile. He can play center if you need him to, or he can play winger, which is what you need him to do. He needs to be the third line winger. Maybe you put him up on the line with Crosby, but he needs to be able to succeed on the third line. We don't need more Connor Sherry's. We don't need people that can excel with Crosby and not excel anywhere else in the lineup. So I feel the same thing as you. You don't give him big money. You don't give him long tenure. You give him a show me contract and say, listen, prove to us you can play apart from 87 and you will be here for the long haul. But so far he hasn't done that. So I feel like to me, they're going to need him to be an effective bottom six winger and not a center. We thought he could be the third line center. Clearly, that's not the case as of right now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just didn't have time to show it, but I don't think he's the answer at 3C. That might come from somewhere outside of the organization, which we'll talk about in later episodes down the line. But I think you must sign him to give him another shot at wing. The other guy that came over in that trade I know is not on our rundown right now. That's Nick Bukestad. I think you trade him at some point in this offseason. And that's that's something that might happen. Yeah. Yeah, not that he's done anything. So yeah, I mean, nothing else to say about Bukestad. I mean, yeah, he's not up this year, but you move on from that. I mean, he'd be a well, probably when we talk about it midseason if we for some reason still have him on our roster. <laughs> he's a move on from. So yeah, he's on the last year of a four point one million dollar contract. So somebody might take him as a rental. Who knows? It all depends on what his health is at because right now he's technically still on the injury report for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So now the main event of this segment, which has been the main event of this segment all Since three times we've it? done it. So Tristan Jari and Matt Murray, both restricted free agents. We're going to do this differently. Instead of going one by one, tell me who you would want as the starter for next year and tell me, I'm guessing that's a must sign, correct? Yeah. As much as I love Matt Murray, man, I do. I've been supporting Matt Murray since he was... In Wilkes-Barre, breaking records and whatever he was doing down there, being the hottest yeah. goaltender ever. Tristan Jari is going to be my guy going forward. And I say that through gritted teeth, man. I just, it hurts to say that because, you know, I wanted Murray to be the goalie of the future. I wanted him to really be the next flurry. I mean, I get that's hard to do with goalies. <laughs> like, we see teams just flip through goalies every two, three years. But mm-hmm. I thought we had one, man. I don't know what. I don't know if something happened. I don't know what changed about his game, but I'm looking at Tristan Jari and I'm saying, you are not the goalie of the future per se, but you're the goalie of right now and next season and the season after that. And then we can really discuss a future situation because goalies are so wishy-washy at all times. We see these goalies that have these great peaks very early. Andrew Hammond comes to mind all the time for me. Played phenomenally in the beginning of his career. Now he can't, he can't flounder his way out of the AHL. So you got to watch out for goalies and being that wishy-washy. And, you know, who knows? Mur- maybe Murray goes somewhere and peaks again. But for now, it's not going to be here. Jari's my guy to keep going forward and make it a couple of years. Don't sign him long because he's a goalie. Signing goalies long is dangerous. you got to really know if you're going to do that. Like They have to be Carey Price, Henry Lundqvist, you know, flurry, old-school status to really drive that home i agree with you i do i i think that tristan jari is the guy for you the pittsburgh penguins going forward 
I think the playoffs just made that even more evident. Not that Matt Murray played poorly because he didn't, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and when you look at that series, maybe you should have started Tristan Jari in game one. You can't take that against anybody because it is, again, hindsight. I, at the beginning of the series, thought, yeah, I think I would go with Matt Murray, but looking back at it, Jari was probably the way to go. Can't really fault Sullivan for that, but at the same time, Look at what Tristan Jari is asking for. There are reports that he's asking for $4 million over two seasons. That's perfect. That's exactly what you want because it is a show-me contract. It levels you off at basically $5.5 million for your goaltending tandem with Casey DeSmith elevated to the NHL as a backup. And it covers you at 5.5 total for your goaltending through the $81.5 million flat cap. So you're covered in net. It helps you with flexibility throughout those seasons. And as far as Matt Murray is concerned, I move on from him. Not that he played poorly in the playoffs, but it, as you look at it right now where the Pittsburgh Penguins are at, they're fine in goaltender without him. Tristan Jari, I think, is a starting goaltender in this league. Casey DeSmith is a serviceable backup goaltender in this league. And Matt Murray is expendable at that point. It's basically the same situation as the flurry murray situation but a little bit different just a tiny bit different so we're not in the me, middle of winning cups and there's not an expansion draft seething on us to make this move imminent right now exactly and instead of giving away a second round pick to get our goalie off of our books somebody might give us a second round pick to take our goalie off of the books so unfortunately i do say you move on from matt murray and i think that's probably what jim rutherford is going to do and i think tristan jari gets the starting job between the pipes next year and you know what matt go to a team and win a cup i really hope he would do that too not like immediately or against us but by god do it again man he deserves you put in so much time so much effort into this team that i feel bad that he's kind of always had this knack of living in the flurry shadow i've mentioned this to you multiple times i want to really do something about it like he's just always had that bearing on him since he got here half the fan base was always against him he deserves to go out somewhere where a fan base can be fully behind him he can go in with all this confidence and then like ring off four straight five game series and win a cup because that's something he can do like he definitely has the physical capabilities. I feel like it's a lot of mental capability. Is It's what's kind of hamstrung him because some of the moves and some of the mistakes he makes, they are mental. It's staying back in his own crease. It's trying to play the puck and making a mistake when you're trying to outlet it. It's, it's stuff like that. I don't have any ill will against Matt Murray. I hope he succeeds wherever he goes. But if I'm the Penguins right now, I'm saying, hey, here's a guy that has won two Stanley Cups. What can you give me for him? You're looking to pad your draft picks. You're looking to pad organizational depth. Maybe that is like second tier prospects like the Lafferty tier or like the Angelo tier. Or maybe you get a top prospect and a very low draft pick. Who knows what you get for a goaltender in this current offseason. Goaltenders are coming harder and harder to find, especially when everybody's going to need two now is from what it seems. And you mentioned goaltender of the future. That is a phrase that I think now we need to be more selective in who we say it in the it, league. This right organization now, needs to really watch itself with that. Now Murray was, don't get me wrong. He was, but then Jari decided to step his toes into that pool. Mm. Not saying also be the goalie of the future, but really kind of, you know, derail Murray's abilities. Yeah, when I think goalie of the future right now, I think of somebody like Carter Hart in Philadelphia. I think of somebody like Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey. I don't think of Matt Murray, and I don't think of Tristan Jari. I think of Tristan Jari as the goalie of now, and right now, 
You've said it so many times. If you're Jim Rutherford, we want to win now. And guess what? Your win now goaltender, that's Tristan Jari. And that's who you go with going forward into the future. As we continue along here on the tip of the iceberg, we have a lot more for you guys in store this week. After the break, we're going to have a Colorado and Vegas check-in to see how our picks for the Stanley Cup are doing in their respective first-round series. And then a little bit later, we, of course, have our Pens poll. So come on back and stay with us here at the tip of the iceberg. This episode of the tip of the iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Before we keep going on with the show, we're going to have a quick look at what is going on in the playoffs right now. As of right now, the Vegas Golden Knights, who are my pick to win the Stanley Cup this year, currently lead the Chicago Blackhawks 3-1 to in the series. They lost earlier today by a score of 3-1, to but they still have a pretty firm control in the first round series. Robin Leonard played extremely well in the first two games of the series before giving way to Marc-Andre Fleury in Game 3, where he almost had a shutout, if not for Olimata's sneaky shot. What a what a sentence for Penguins fans to be listening to right now. But Vegas currently does still hold the lead 3-1 to one in that series, looking to finish it off in Game 5, moving it over to the other team that is chosen as a Stanley Cup champion by one of us here at the tip of the iceberg, Horat picked the Colorado Avalanche. They currently have a 2-1 to one series lead on the Arizona Coyotes. Darcy Kemper doing Darcy Kemper-like things for the Coyotes so far. Facing a lot of shots from Colorado, but still keeping the Coyotes within striking distance. And they're going to have to see if they can tie up that series tomorrow night. Moving along here, Dallas and Calgary, probably the most tightly contested series so far in the first round. Both teams have notched two wins, a couple overtime wins, one for each team as well. So that's been a very good series to keep an eye on. Joe Pavelski with a big hat trick on Sunday in their 5-4 to four win, including the game-tying goal in the waning minutes of that one. As of right now, the Blues-Canucks Game 3 has not started yet, but where they're at right now, Vancouver leads the defending Stanley Cup champions by a score of two games to none, Bo Horvat having a hell of a series for Vancouver. And realistically, their entire star core is having a hell of a series 
You look at the way that Quinn Hughes has been playing up for that team on defense. Tanev has been playing really well all postseason for them. But especially Elias Pedersen has really gotten his game going here in the early going against the St. Louis Blues. A little bit later tonight, we'll see how Game 3 pans out. We'll see if St. Louis can get a win on the board or if they'll be pushed to the brink of elimination by the Vancouver Canucks. Let's move it over to the Eastern Conference. As of right now, the Flyers have a one to nothing lead on the Montreal Canadiens in Game 3. And it is a tied series at 1-1. to It was good to see the Flyers were actually human on Friday afternoon when the Canadians humbled them by a score of 5 to nothing, Carter Hart gets pulled in that game. But as of right now, they've come back to start off strong with a one to nothing lead in Game 3. We'll see if that changes before I'm finished recording this right now. Moving along, we talked a little bit about the five-overtime game between Tampa Bay and Columbus. Tampa Bay currently leads the Columbus Blue Jackets Two games to one in that series. But it's going to be interesting to see if Jonas Corposalo can continue to play as well as he has. Because even in defeat, Corposalo has played extremely well, of course, in that five-overtime game as well as the game on Saturday night. Probably the biggest surprise of the first round. The Islanders lead the Washington Capitals by a score of three games to zero. So the Capitals are on the verge of elimination here in the first round. Somewhere that the Pittsburgh Penguins are awfully familiar with, considering last season the Penguins were swept by the Islanders in the first round. So now the Capitals are in that position a little earlier today. They dropped Game 3 by a score of 2-1 to one in overtime. Matt Barzell was some heroics as he has been extremely good in this postseason, and he continued that with a fantastic overtime game winner to give the Islanders that 3 to nothing series lead. The Capitals on the brink. We'll see if Alex Ovechkin and crew can get a win earlier in the week, or early this week, I should say. Now let's finish it off with one last series. The Boston Bruins leading the Carolina Hurricanes by a game score of two games to one. Boston, of course, losing their starting goaltender, Tuka Rask, due to him dropping out of the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs to go be with his family. Can't really get on him for that, but... Yaroslav Halak was able to come out after that in Game 3, pitch a really good game, and shut down the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes were the best team in the qualifiers, so it's going to be really interesting to see if they can fight back against the team that knocked them out in four straight games in last year's Eastern Conference Finals. I think they have a lot in them. I think that they're going to be able to do it, especially because they have Peter Morazic and James Reimer playing extremely well, and who knows how long before the dam breaks in Boston? How long can Yaroslav Halak be that steady starting goaltender? I get that he's one half of the Jennings Trophy winners this year, and he played extremely well in relief of Tuka Rask, but it's a different animal in the playoffs, as everybody that is probably listening to this knows. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think this still goes seven games. I think it's still going to be Carolina being able to take it. And as we're talking about Carolina, we've on the tip of the iceberg, shown you clips and promos for certain shows around the Hockey Podcast Network the last couple weeks. We're going to continue that. And as we're talking about the Carolina Hurricanes, we're going to show you a brief promo of the Siren Sounder Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hey there. Have you ever thought to yourself, I really like hockey and I'd love a show to listen to, but I also don't have enough nonsense in my life and questionable opinions. 
I got the show for you, bud. And there's some really, really thirsty person in that group, okay? That will be like, I'll give you $7 for that lemonade. And the $2 person is like, whoa, okay, walking away. That person's crazy. That is exactly what happens in free agency all the time. And that is a really good metaphor. And if you don't appreciate it, put the phone down. Get out of here. We don't want you around. You can't say, hey, you tripped this guy, but also he dove. Well, if he dove, I didn't trip him. If you're a goalie, just, you know, chill. You don't have to do as much as you think you need to do. But also we talk about hockey. So go check out Siren Sounder, a Canes podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes every Monday and after every playoff game during the playoffs. Let's go Canes! Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a couple more things to talk about with you guys right now. Let's start it off with that marathon of a game between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets, the fourth, I believe it is, the fourth longest game in NHL history. Horwat, I know that you did not watch the whole thing. I I did, and I'm going to say unfortunately because afterwards I, I needed – I needed a break. I needed to just relax for a second because it was a six hour investment of my time to sit there and watch it. And it was great. I loved every second of it. The intermissions got a little hazy, but it was a fun time. How did, how did you experience this marathon? My experience was I watched, I even watched. I was, it kind of had the first period on in the background while I was getting ready. Um, and then I went to my grandfather's birthday gathering. It wasn't a party. It wasn't anything much. Just like, couple family members because it's hard to do with COVID and my family kind of lives far away now. So it was a little gathering. Um, as I'm two minutes away from home, I get a notification on my watch that says, uh, hey, this game's going into the fourth overtime. I'm like, what? The game that was on when we left? That's still on? So we were able to get home and finish watching it. And even then, <laughs> I was even then, I, there was another intermission where I was able to go up and make food in between. So that was my experience watching it. I was able to watch the beginning and the end of it. Yeah, I mean, that that is definitely an experience. But you talk about that game. The big storyline is Jonas Corposalo. It sucks breaking that he the lost. Record. It, it, it sucks does. that he lost. It would have been even worse if he would have given up, if he would have made 100-plus saves, which I thought he was on his way to doing, and yeah. then lost. Oh, but yeah. he still, he made 85 or 86 saves and then gives up. I mean, you can't really fault him for that game winner. Braden Point had an absolute snipe show to finish that off. I mean, fantastic shot by Point. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I didn't know it was going into overtime. I didn't know what the score was. I tweeted at Boutergrass after the fourth overtime. Is it too late to get involved in the uh... – Overtime challenge, and I threw in point, and I got it. I'll say that. I picked the correct answer. But, um, <laughs> my God. I mean, hey, man, the Penguins record is still intact as the longest in the modern era. I'll say that, even though we lost that game as well. But it was yeah. only by about two minutes. I, it was close, and we were part of that uh, record. I didn't realize I was mentioning to you and Doug, I feel bad for Boucher, who just has to be in that box the entire time. <laughs> I'm sure they Yeah, started and it's all closed in, too. I'm sure they started letting him out <laughs> during intermissions. I, Well, intermissions, yeah. They're not like, stay. Stay in there. <laughs> yeah. But um, from then on, I it was – I didn't realize he was – I didn't realize he was the goalie in that game. I think I forgot mm-hmm. that. And I also Flyers. learned that Keith Jones was, uh, was in that game. 
Yeah, not like he didn't mention it during every single intermission of overtime. It was annoying. I only saw one intermission, so. Yeah, he talked about it the entire time. I lucked time, out that, there. That was another interesting thing, because once the game ended, during, the I think, the first intermission into overtime, Old, it, the initial people on there were Olchek and, oh, why can't I think of his name right now? Uh, but they were Sharp, Schneider. No, it was Sharpie came in as a he replacement in the third overtime. Carter, but Jonesy Carter? came in and it, over to relieve Olchek after the first overtime. So it was weird that they even had to switch announcers for the intermission report. So it was Anson Carter. I couldn't remember Anson Carter. I was thinking something Hanson. I was like, that's not right. Got slap shot on the mind, I guess. But no, it, it was an interesting, funny game. And it was a very good game. Like they mentioned, especially Sharpie and... And Jones, as you mentioned, all said, these guys are flying. This is the fifth overtime, and they're still flying around the ice. So it was definitely high-paced, good hockey to watch. It was fun. It's definitely something that people aren't going to forget because now it is in the history books, fourth longest game in NHL history, and you just feel bad for somebody like Jonas Corposolo. But at the same time, I think people need to give a little bit more credit to Andre Vasilevsky because he still made 65, 66 saves on 68 or 69 shots. It would be fun if they both broke the record. <laughs> it was getting to the point where it that was might getting have, there, I, yeah. I mean, because Columbus owned possession in that fifth overtime to start the period. So Yeah, because you also have to figure that you know, the longest game in modern history, neither of those goalies, at least from what I remember, I don't. I don't think not. I mean, Kelly Rudy, is that the goalie who whose record he broke? Yes. I mean, you figure Boucher and uh, I think Tugnut was the Penguins goalie for that game. Neither of them broke the record. And that was a longer game. Dead but puck as, era. Yes. Yeah. But Also, as they mentioned, these guys were a lot faster, a lot better conditioned now. So a lot more chances getting put on net. Right. So it was just a different type of era. Yeah, but. I mean, you figure those guys played the longest game where in that they didn't break the record. One more note that I was thinking of, if you're a team like Columbus and you have two very good goalies, at what point do you look at, I mean, Merzlingens was hurt, but let's say he's not. At what point do you look and go, you're fresh. He's broken the record. He's got nothing to lose. Are you putting in a fresh goalie? Uh, no, you're not messing no, you're with not. that mojo. You're I know not you're putting not, a but guy like, that you... sat on the bench for the past four hours and saying, Hey, go out there and you know, in this very one. important <laughs> game, go out there and be on the top of your game immediately. No, I'm, I'm riding the hot hand at that point. And you could even tell Corpus was in the zone. And you know, as, as much as they like Kivlin X or whatever his name is, I think it's Matisse Kivlin X or something like that. He played a couple games this season. He's not bad. He wasn't bad when he played this year, but no, I'm riding the hot goalie. There's not even a thought in my mind. If I'm towards of saying, yeah, let's switch them. Get the get the fresh guy out there. No, that's, I mean, that's not crossing my mind. I know that's not what you do, but part of me was just like, I mean, when you have two very good goalies, you always talk about playing them both. I mean, if Merz Lincolns was healthy, yeah, maybe I think of starting him game two if it's oh, absolutely, back, like, yeah. If no, Corpus absolutely. is starting not ready, next but game. <laughs> but who, no, part who, of me was just like, I mean, he's broken the record. You know, you have other very good goalies. You kind of, you kind of really gotta have faith, but I mean, and I'm, and I'm not even saying I would do it. It's just what party you. There's definitely a party that's like we have two very good goalies. Why not? <laughs> no, no, no part of me would say that, but that's that's that's. I mean, to each their own, I guess. But we have one more thing. Let's finish this week off with the Pens poll. This one is a lot 
Pens-centric. It said, which Pens player do you believe was the most disappointing in the Pens series loss to Montreal? Jack Johnson, no surprise here, won the poll with 56% of the votes. Evgeny Malkin comes in second with 23%. Jake Gensel gets 14% of the votes. And Justin Schultz has 7%. Now, I think the big thing is the word disappointed. Yet Jack Johnson, that's how much hatred there is for him in Penn's Twitter. A lot of people leave it. Somebody, a couple people stated, listen, I'm not voting for Jack Johnson because I don't that's, expect him what you to be good. So I'm not disappointed that he sucked because I expected it, which I get that. But Jack Johnson still, his performance is awful. I mentioned on last week's show, and I won't get too much into it. I've talked shit on Justin Schultz for two straight weeks now. That's who my vote goes for, but I can also understand Jake Gensel, a goal and two assists. Did not really play that well, was knocked off the puck easily, but also coming off an injury. And Evgeny Malkin had that great assist in Game 3, 21 shots on net. But sometimes that's not enough when you're supposedly one of the top 100 players in NHL history. I'll come to bat. For, I'll go to bat for Jake Gensel saying I think he, yeah, had a bad, not a bad series, but didn't have his best series. But like I mentioned last week, I think we needed to win that for him to be back in 100%. Um, just to get some real speed under him. So I'll go to bat for Gensel on that. Malkin, I'll, I'm not going to go to bat for him, but I am going to defend him a little bit in saying that, yeah, he was definitely at least kind of trying with 21 shots. You expect more, obviously, but 21 shots and that great assist is something. It's more than what half the team gave it looked like. And as for Schultz and Johnson, I mean, shit, we could have clumped those two together, really. Because were they out there on the ice on their own? Uh, eventually, at some point, because Justin Schultz was out there for six of the goals against, and Johnson was only out there for five. So at, at some point, they were out there apart from each other. Schultz was also on the first power play unit for a time being. Schultz was also out there with the extra attacker. So it seems like Schultz was out there for no reason for a lot of times. I don't know why I keep mentioning that. Oh, well. But... You mentioned a good point with Evgeny Malkin. At some point, that's not enough. You also have to think about 21 shots doesn't tell the whole story. 21 shots in four games is great, but when 15 of them are in the first two games and only six of them <laughs> are right. in games three and games four, that's a completely different story. Nobody really had anything to say bad about his game one effort, but it was half of game two. It was game three after that assist, and it was all of game four. So that is where I can see people getting on Evgeny Malkin for the, the not the effort per se, but his performance was definitely disappointing. So all four of these guys can make a case, I would say. I'd say so. I mean, like I said, like I'm not, I'm not fully defending Malkin. I'm saying he, you can tell there was an effort being given at some point in the series. It wasn't all four games coasting and just kind of taking the shot when he had it. Game one and game two, like we mentioned, he had 15 shots. Who does that? That's yeah. a lot. I mean, that's more than Arizona had in their, <laughs> in their entire game one against Colorado. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's what you want to see at first. Because we were discussing, when's Malkin going to pop off? We know it's coming. He's, he's putting in this effort. He's had this many shots. And then he got the assist, and we're thinking, all right, it's really coming now. And that was it. Nothing. So I'll give Malkin a little bit of defense on that, but you know, like I and I said, Jake Gensel, we needed the series for him to be at a hundred percent. As for everyone else, I mean, in that list at least, yeah, I think we've said all we could about him. 
Yeah, and luckily there's the the whole trade Malkin crew has not come out in full force yet, and thankfully, Jim Rutherford personally stated, I'm not interested in trading Evgeny Malkin. So the people that are in the trade Malkin crew, just please keep your mouth shut for at least the next three years and then say whatever you want because hopefully we'll have another Stanley Cup by then. Who knows? It all depends on what the Penguins do in this offseason, but we will be here to break down everything that happens during the Penguins offseason and to talk, obviously, a little bit about the Stanley Cup playoffs as they're going on because both of us remain fully interested in watching playoff hockey. I know that your babysitting expertise and <laughs> is probably needed here soon, so let's get this finished off. That's going to be it for this one. Don't forget to check out our sponsors at manscaped.com. Use code THPN for 20% off and free shipping. Go to visit coolhockey.com slash THPN as well using code THPN for 30% off your new favorite hockey jersey. You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. If you'd like, you could also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere, strap in, Pence fans. It's going to be one hell of an offseason and get ready for some changes to be made. See you guys. 